Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Thanks, Bobby, for joining us today. Bobby is the head and founder and CEO of Financial Wellness Strategies, the author of Launching Financial Grownups, and she also hosts her own podcast, Money Tips for Financial Grownups. I actually recently rebranded the uh, podcast to match my business. It's now called Wellness for Financial Grownups, but it's really just a nod so that we're all in sync with my company, which is um, Financial Wellness Strategies, but it's the same podcast. We just like to rebrand every every so often, Stacey. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's that's awesome. Well, thanks, Bobby, again for being here. Um, I know in a previous conversation, Bobby, we got to talk about um, financial literacy and financial wellness, the how that is in schools, and the role that parents can play in building financial wellness for their children. So, can you tell us more about what that can look like? I love this question. A lot of parents express frustration because they feel that the schools should teach financial literacy. And we're going to talk in a sec about financial literacy versus financial wellness. And the answer is, of course, schools should. But the reality is the true stakeholders in your child learning about money and feeling good and having a healthy relationship with money, the true stakeholders are the parents and the people that care about the next generation that will be with those next generation ongoing. The school's relationship with your kids is so important, but it unfortunately is just a season of their life. And so as important as it is in those formative years, it is essential that the parents understand that they can't just trust that their children will get all they need from schools, even the most well-meaning schools, the most well-intentioned, well-funded will probably fall short because at the end of the day, the lessons that you're going to teach a young child, assuming they're taught well with the right curriculum, with a child that's interested in paying attention, all of which are probably not happening, are still appropriate for that age. And the skills that the next generation will need as young adults, which is my area of specialty, are very different from the skills that a school-age child will need. And so it's really important that parents are tuned in to what their children need to be learning at the various stages of life. It's not a question of, you know, let's teach home ec. We're going to teach the kids how to sew a button on. Okay, great. You'll have that life skill forever. And that's also, by the way, not a bad life skill because you shouldn't be paying tailors to sew on buttons and stuff. You should save money and just learn to tie to, you know, sew the buttons on yourself or darn socks, which no one really does. But I'm speaking as just, you know, fun examples here. So parents should never sort of um, outsource financial literacy and financial wellness education. I think it's something that we need to be tuned into what our kids are learning and what they're not learning and really be proactive. To that end, Bobby, when you think about currently in, in school, as it relates to education nationally in the U.S. right now, when you think about inroads around promoting a an awareness of financial, an awareness of financial wellness within classrooms. Where, what have you found to be sort of the appropriate entry points? What do you often sometimes encounter on the other side of it in terms of barriers where schools and education, sort of in general, 
sometimes seem hesitant to be more to be more receptive or more welcoming to those core to those core tenets of financial wellness? This is the million dollar question that everybody wonders. And there's no one size fits all answer because we're as a nation, and we're speaking in the United States, a very fragmented educational system, right? So different school boards, literally at the most local level are making these decisions and they're making decisions about what to prioritize. And we know that it's been controversial what kinds of things we wanna be teaching even the youngest children in schools. And we could go on a tangent where we're not gonna go on here, but a lot of people have very strong feelings about what kids should learn. And people have different values on many different topics and money is one of them. So it does become complicated what you're teaching children at what age. That's why I think it's up to parents to step in and teach age appropriate lessons related to money in a way that makes sense for their child and their child's personality, their child's learning style, their family's values, because they're all so unique. And that's a good thing, right? Because this is an area where we can actually create bonds and special memories with our children as we go through life. We can share with them the first time that I saved up for something with my own money. This is what I bought. What do you think you're going to buy the first time you save up money? And are you going to earn that money through allowance? Are you going to have a job where you do it around, you know, where you have to do something, a task in order to get that allowance? How is it going to work? What do you think we should be doing? What do you think about the way that, you know, mom and dad earn money? Do you know how we earn money? There's so many great conversations that can bond a family together around money separate from the school. The school is going to do what they're going to do. And you may also, by the way, one of the other challenges with schools is some schools, first of all, there's, there's funding, there's prioritization of different topics, but also even if they are teaching about money, the quality of teaching is really going to often not be very transparent to the parents. Think how many things our kids learn. And we don't necessarily always get the information from the school of what they learned that day. At least that's been my experience. Um, I've gone through some old notebooks from my son, who's now going into 10th grade. And I've seen stuff from third and fourth grade as we're cleaning out his closet. And I'm like, oh, I never knew that you learned about this topic. And he just never mentioned it. It just didn't come up. So you don't know how well it's being taught. And very often when Schools um, have like a mandatory personal finance class. They don't necessarily, and in many cases, they really don't have a designated person who's trained to teach personal finance. They may give it to someone who teaches a different topic and they're given a binder with a curriculum and they're sort of just reading it to the kids. That doesn't mean it's going to resonate. And again, it doesn't mean that that curriculum is appropriate to that child's where they are in life, what their learning style is, and so on. It's really back to the idea of the parents are the stakeholders. The parents are the ones that are going to have the long-term benefits and challenges of their kids learning or not learning about money at the right times. So we have both parents and educators listening and, and others. If if you are an educator listening, you know what tip would you give them, Bobby, on if they wanted to include some instruction either on financial literacy um, or and or financial wellness, and maybe now's a good time to also explain the difference of financial literacy and financial wellness before we pop into the tip. Well, I think first of all, getting the right financial literacy resources is step number one, and that's where you guys can obviously help. Uh, so getting the right curriculum and spending time in advance, understanding the concepts yourself so you can answer questions for the students and really approaching it as a priority and advocating in the education system and in the educator community for um, reprioritizing financial education of all kinds in our school systems. As I always say, it's not 
parents or educators, it's both. It's all. This is all additive. When I stress the role of parents, it's because you don't necessarily know that you're going to get it from educators, but it's a blessing if you do. And we want to have as much education related to money in school as possible. We just don't know at this point, unfortunately, that we're going to get it because we do have such a fragmented school system. So it's really important that educators advocate for more learning about money in the schools and then upping the quality of it. And part of that is prioritizing it, making sure that the educators do have the training so that they are able to teach it effectively and get the students engaged. Very often, there'll be a, a school will say we mandate that we offer it, but they don't necessarily mandate that the students attend, right? And that especially happens, for example, colleges will also often offer classes tied to personal finance, but then the kids don't sign up for it. And so it's, it's a tough situation because if you don't have an engaged community of interested people, what really happens as a practical matter is those kids that didn't sign up for personal finance in college get out and then they don't have the skills they need. And the parents assume, well, they're 22, they went to college. Surely they know how to run their life from a personal finance standpoint. And they don't necessarily. And the kids don't necessarily even understand what they don't know. So it's really important for parents, especially as kids get to be what I call financial grownups, that the parents step in and ask the provocative questions and don't take yes for an answer. And what I mean by that is when your kid says, yes, I signed up for the 401k, don't just say, cool, ask them, okay, show me you know, can we do a screen share? Can, you know, if they don't live at home, show me what you signed up for. Show me what you invested that money in. Show me, did you see that you can also step up every so often and add a higher percentage of savings to that 401k account so that you keep saving more and more? Do you know what your annual maximum is? Are you able to hit it? Most young people know it's obviously it can be a little bit high for them, but have those discussions with them because kids will often say yes when you ask them if they understand something, but unfortunately, sometimes they don't. Or they might say, you might say, oh, you rented your first apartment. You know you need um, insurance, right? You need renter's insurance. And they'll be like, yeah, that doesn't mean they actually got it, right? They might say, yeah, oh, I'll and think in their mind, I'll get it when I can afford it, but I have no money right now. And you might, if you get them to say that out loud, you might say, you know what? It's so important I know your numbers. I know you really can't afford it right now, but maybe as a parent, I'm going to step in and for the next two years, I'm going to pay renter's insurance for you and make that educated, intentional decision to subsidize my child because I want them to have that safety net right now. But that's not going to happen unless you have a discussion and the child is aware of the importance of that renter's insurance or whatever it may be. So it's really incumbent upon parents to help the young adult not only learn things, but learn what they don't know yet. Bobby, you're you're a journalist by trade. Yes. As a storyteller and as a reporter as well. Do you get the sense that when we think about financial literacy and wellness for this generation, I'm going to go ahead and say, let's talk about people who are post-college or during college, like that group. Do you feel that that level of awareness, where, where would you compare that to to a previous generation? Because when you were mentioning before about 401ks and sort of like the dialogue that that kids can be having with their parents, that seems like a different conversation than the concept of just solely saving, which a previous generation would have said. And the generation before that would have even been more adamant about it. So when you think about 
when you think about sort of the way we have this conversation now, what feels different and what do we have to be more potentially more aware of when we're having these conversations with our kids? That's one of the best questions I've ever gotten. So thank you. Things are actually different. And that's why we have to have these conversations. Life is more complicated from a financial standpoint. So I'm a Gen Xer. So the baby boomers and the greatest generation older than me, they had pensions, right? And so they had that taken care of. In almost all cases, they had health insurance that came, a good health insurance, or let's say health insurance that the company subsidized a lot coming from their employer. There was less to do on your own. Your retirement, a lot of your benefits were taken care of by your company, right? Then Gen Xers, many of us, we had this move into 401ks where we sort of had some of us had pensions, but some of us had 401ks with company matches. Now we've moved to very young, very often young people have the gig economy. They stay on their parents' insurance because of um, uh, the Affordable Care Act, ACA, also known as Obamacare. So they are tied to their parents' insurance longer very often. But what that also does is it gives a lot of companies a free pass for a number of years where they encourage young people to stay on their parents' insurance. And so they're sort of in this nowhere land when it comes to a lot of the things that we took for granted. They may not have a 401k. They, there's a lot of entrepreneurial culture where when they're young and they're starting a company, they're probably not saving for retirement versus a Gen X that at least was putting money in a 401k and so on. There's a lot less stability. There's less community at work where you're sharing these conversations about how you're setting up your life because so many of us work from home that the casual conversations about how we're setting up our life as young adults aren't happening in that casual way. You're having meetings, but you're not having those um, those side conversations that you might have in the, in the office cafeteria and so on. So it is much harder for young people these days. The upside is that there is more information available. And that brings us to my whole um, MO these days, which is that financial literacy is not the same as financial wellness. There is so much information available online. If you want to understand how a 401k works, there are endless PDFs, YouTube videos. I am a huge fan, I always say, of irs.gov to answer so many questions about how things work for tax purposes and so on. Infinite companies have so many resources explaining different financial concepts. It is you know, a utopia for the curious mind. That said, that doesn't answer what's best for you. And that's where, like I started my whole company, Financial Wellness Strategies, because a lot of the information doesn't answer how to actually get to your financial goals, right? Because just throwing money into something is not the same as understanding where you wanna be in five, 10, 20, 30 years, right? It's a whole different thing. So it's important to have the information financial literacy as a base, and then move towards financial wellness by understanding how money fits into your life and how it's going to help shape your intentional financial outcomes. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. 
Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. I mean, you mentioned some resources there, you know, YouTube, um, Googling, um, IRS.gov, you know, for parents who maybe, you know, they don't have jobs or experiences where they're needing to make decisions around 401ks and such, you know, how might they help their children as they step into uh, different careers and or if that's not an option for them at work, how else might they be considering things like retirement and, and their, in their future? Also a great question. I would, first of all, I did mention YouTube and I have mixed feelings about mentioning that because YouTube is vast. And while there's a lot of wonderful information on there, I think it's important to be aware of your source and especially if they're selling something. So there's a lot of influencers out there, financial influencers, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. So just be careful. Some are really great and some are selling stuff, but even some great ones are selling stuff. That doesn't make you not great, but just be careful of their credentials. In fact, uh, we were speaking before we hit record. Um, my background is as a journalist, but after I wrote my first book, which was how to be a financial grown-up, and now I've written launching financial grown-ups, I did become a certified financial planner, not because I wanted to start managing money, but because I wanted to make sure that I was qualified to speak about this stuff. So look for credentials in the people that you follow. Look for credentials in the people um, if you buy a book. See, you know, read the flap. Make sure that that author actually has some street cred and knows what they're talking about. There's incredible people out there who are, we'll talk about that they had a journey and they paid off student debt. It's kind of like dieting. Sometimes it's going to work for you to hear a personal story from somebody who lost a lot of weight because they went on this diet. And if that works from you, that's fine. But understand that that's that one person's experience. That doesn't mean that they are a nutritionist, right? So anecdotal stories from people who have been in similar situations are awesome. Use them in whatever way that's going to work for you. But be aware that you should also always go to credentialed experts and make sure you understand your source. And that goes also with sources you know, in the media. Make sure you choose credible media sources when you're doing research. Make sure if you're getting information from a brokerage firm or what have you, that it's a trusted source. If you're you know, using information from corporate websites, there's a lot of really good corporate blogs out there. And I'm going to decline to name names because I don't want to endorse any particular one. But if you have your money, for example, invested at a brokerage company, and again, I'm trying not to name any names, but if you trust them enough to manage your money, you probably are going to trust the information there and they can be a great source of some context and information about different things that you might want to learn about. There's also, like I said, many books that are out there that are great and lots of podcasts like this one that they can listen to to get information. Um, mine, of course, I would recommend and um, lots of great, lots of great information out there. Just watch your sources. I think we're grownups. You can figure it out. I'm a rebel. Thank you. As you were just talking about your show, I wanted to just sort of direct this over to how can our audience learn more about your work um, and just further engage with your beats through social media, your other efforts as well? How does the world get to know more about the work that you do? Thank you so much. So my company, as I mentioned, is Financial Wellness Strategies. We do live online and in-person educational programs about financial wellness. The idea being that 
unfortunately, as much as companies do offer taped um, videos and so on, people really don't always engage with them. So we really focus on live programming. So I'm happy to come if you, you know, want to recommend me to your company, that would be great. And you can learn more about me personally at my personal website, bobbyrebell.com. And please tune into my podcast, which is Wellness for Financial Grownups. And you guys so generously pro promoted my book, which is Launching Financial Grownups, which is all about helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart and um, in a kind and loving way. I definitely do not advocate just randomly cutting your kids off the, pay the quote payroll, as they say, at a specific age. Like I said, things really are tougher these days for them. They are handling a lot of things that older generations did not necessarily have to handle financially. And it's important that we be empathetic to younger generations and really be supportive of them on their journey. Bobby, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We wanna hear from you. If you have a question, comment or just want to be part of the conversation email us at the educate us show at gmail.com this has been a production of leon media network i'm nick saveri i'm patrice Vincent, and i'm stacy schultz we'll see you next time <laughs>